Coming up next on the Breadwinning Mums. You need your different buckets. I don't know if I've talked to you about the buckets. Imagine you're full of water. Mm. What are the buckets that you need to make you feel balanced? For me, at my stage in life, it's my family and friends, my mm. relationships. It's mm. my work. I'm still coaching, working with a few companies. So work, mm. your relationships, family and friends, your health and well-being, mm. and possibly your the way you give forward or contribute to the community. Mm. Now, there has to be enough water in you to fill each of those buckets up to the level where you feel balanced. If you mm. focus just on work, the other buckets will be empty and mm. your life will be out of balance. Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with Julie Parkinson, a fellow breadwinning mum with two adult sons, Jake and Joshua. Julie is the director of Mother's Heart Organization. She shared with us her life story about growing up in a small village in the north of England, starting her first job with a good housekeeping magazine, exploring Australia and working in Hong Kong, before finally calling Australia home. Here we go with Julie Parkinson. Hello, Julie. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. Good to see you again. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be in touch. Would you be able to let us know a little bit more about your background, where you started from and how you arrived to where you are now? Of course, delighted to. Um, I was born in a village, a very small village um, in the north of England. Mm. Uh, I, don't worry, I won't go through the whole chronology, but I, was, I have three brothers and yeah. three boy cousins who lived next door. So I grew up with six boys, mm. um, which was an interesting perspective on life. Yeah. My dad was a factory worker um, who okay. left school at 13. So wow. I think it was interesting that my mom and dad didn't have a lot of expectations from their children because already mm. they thought we were doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I think... Uh, a moment that was quite defining. When I was 16, my dad had a heart attack. Oh, wow. And we almost lost him. Fortunately, we yep. didn't. But at that time, his nutritional status was not good. And mm. so I started planning his diet, preparing meals for him. And mm. I think that's when I really started being interested in health and nutrition. Mm. 
I went to university at 18 in the south of England and did a degree in home economics and my main area was nutrition. Yeah. And I was fortunate that my first job was with Good Housekeeping magazine, um, which oh, wow. was pretty well known at the time as a nutrition yeah. researcher. Yeah. Um, I did that for two and a half years and then went to Australia on a gap year. Oh. And one of the, whether you believe in coincidences or whatever you call it, Good Housekeeping were launching in Australia. Mm. So I got an introduction and was hired as consumer editor, which was wow. fantastic for me. Yeah. So for about seven years, I worked in women's magazines as a health writer, researcher, um, then came back to the UK Mm. Um, I'd been, I'd met Barry, my husband at university. And at that time we'd been dating for seven years, Oh met wow! a lot of the time in different countries, but we came mm. back to the UK and got married. Wow. And Barry got a job in Hong Kong as a young engineer. Mm. My two sons are both engineers, but you know, that's yeah. a different story. Yeah. Um, so we went to Hong Kong and Barry was working as an engineer. And I yeah. met an Indian entrepreneur mm. who had come to Hong Kong um, a few years before with 10 US dollars in his pocket. Mm. He hired me to help him build businesses. So, hey. and he was, a, his name was Ranjan Marwa, amazing man. Mm. He just came up with a hundred ideas a week. Probably 95 of them were never going to work, but five yeah. of them were probably brilliant. Yeah. So we worked together for 17 years, um, building companies. Yeah. Ranjan had an outdoor advertising company. And so I, in the mid eighties, mid to late eighties, as a young, at the time, young British woman Mm. used to go to Japan and sell neon signs to the Japanese clients, to Sony and Sanyu and Fujitsu. Yeah. Um, Which was Looking back, it was, it was interesting. It was scary. Mm. Um, and then Ranjan sold that business, the outdoor advertising mm. business. And at the time, I wanted to start an events business. Okay. So, and the reason for that, one of the signs that we sold was to a company called Foster's. I think most people are familiar with the Foster's beer brand. Yeah. And we built a very big sign on a, a building called Harcourt House in Hong Kong. Mm. And we wanted, we suggested to the client, let's mm. do a launch party. Mm. And he's like, well, who can do it? And it's like, I can. So that was my first million dollar party, Hong Kong dollars. Hong Kong <laughs> wow. dollars but, um, yeah. And that's how I got into the events business. And after that, yeah. I said to Renjan, I want to start an events company. Yeah. Did you so, have any experience in events planning beforehand? No. Such a go-getter. I love it. No, no experience. And you know, yeah. that was probably good, probably bad, because I did, mm. I mean, I thought, how hard can it be? You need a venue, mm. you need food and beverage, you need possibly entertainment, you definitely need guests. Mm. Um, and so I hired people who did have events experience. Mm. And over the next 14 years, built probably one of the I suppose boutique, one of the best boutique events companies around Asia. Mm, that's great. And one of your clientele was the uh, Bill Gates yes, Foundation. Yes, I did. I mentioned. worked for Microsoft. And so mm. we did the Bill Gates roadshows around Asia where we brought all his clients to the different locations. 
and I was responsible at the time for the bill bag, all the things that Bill Gates used to take with him on tour. Yeah. Like his diet cherry <laughs> coke and his comb and his matching tie and matching shoes. So it was oh, wow. It was a fascinating time. Yeah, yeah. How was he? He was As wonderful. A client. He was wonderful. Yeah? He was one Not- of the um, kindest, most humble clients I've worked with. Oh, okay. So, so not yeah. too demanding. No, not at all. Mm. I mean, and I, I obviously I didn't have a lot of direct contact with him. I was working with his team. Yeah, um, yeah. And the Microsoft culture at the time was incredibly hardworking. Yeah. Okay. Around the clock. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned growing up with three brothers and three boy cousins. Uh, what was what was that like? I have three brothers as well. Um, it taught me a lot about grit and resilience and, you know, trying to really speak up for, for what you want and what you believe in. Was that the same experience with you? I think it was. And I think I used to get into trouble at school. I was very small. I was tiny. Um, mm. But my way of resolving conflict at that time was to fight, was to hit. Yeah. You know, so I was yeah. constantly in trouble. I remember I, was, I would be hauled in to polish the tables at lunchtime for fighting with the boys in the playground. Um, you know obviously that wouldn't happen today but at the time it was my my self-defense so it was that was my language of of solving things yeah yeah fortunately I've moved on yeah okay and I think the flip side of it is that sometimes I miss the um, delicate nuances that can come from like female to female interactions do you find that that's the case with you as well um, I think it depends. I think I have some great female friends mm. and I share things with my female friends that I wouldn't share with mm. male friends. Mm. So I think, yes, I think you go to different people in your life for different mm. things. Mm. Um, and while I still have a very close relationship with my brothers and some of my boy cousins, I'm probably closest to my female friends now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds interesting. So you were on a long distance relationship with Barry um, for seven years before you uh, got married. Yes. What was that like? I think it was, I met him when I was 21. He was 23. Hmm. Hmm. We were both intent on building our careers. Hmm. Um, So it was very much, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Hmm. And when we can get together, it will be fantastic. So we got mm. together. We had an amazing Christmas in Kenya in Mombasa. Um, oh, we wow. spent time. He was in the Middle East. I went and spent Christmas there with him. And at times he'd come back and be based in the UK. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we'd see each other whenever we could. But mm. I think that's made us stronger as a couple because when we then came to Australia, for the first time we started a business together. Mm. Um we are chalk and cheese. We have mm. such different working styles. Barry mm. is a, he was, he ran a public logistic company for Asia. He was an amazing CEO. He, as an engineer, he put the foundations in place for a business that I could never have done. Mm. But I had possibly the vision um, to know where I needed the company to go. I had yeah. the ability both in Australia and Hong Kong to attract and retain really amazing clients. Mm. So I would come up with an idea and he'd say, I have no idea how you're going to do it, but I will help you figure that out. And if you say you're going to do it, you probably will. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, okay. you know, we, we divided and conquered. Did you know that uh, you, you were committed to each other early on at 21 to 27? Um, probably not the first few years. It wasn't that we weren't committed. It's just life was so exciting. There were yeah. so many places to go, so many things to do. And we were very much, we were both quite easygoing. Um, mm. Barry's mum used to say to us, the problem with you two is you laugh all the time. And it's like, well, okay, thanks for the feedback. Yeah, I thought that was a good thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was a great thing. So we, yeah. we just enjoyed the journey. Yeah, okay. And at what point did you decide to settle down then with each other and find one place to live? We were both in Australia for a couple of years and hmm. um, I decided to go on a gap year, as I'd said. And the very next day, Barry's company said to him, we're sending you to Australia. You know, it was one of those... They knew nothing about my plans, so it was synchronicity. So we were in Australia oh. for two years together. He was in Newcastle. I was in mm. Sydney working for mm. a magazine. And mm. it was when, during that time, that we decided we went back to the UK after that and we got married. Ah, I see. Okay, so it's uh, half luck, half serendipity and maybe so. a, a touch so. of commitment. It was, it was all going that way anyway. It was yes. just a matter of time. That's right. Okay, perfect. And so I guess if we were to go back in time to the young Julie when you were just about to go on that gap year, did you know that you were going to work on your career? Um, I've never had a career plan. Hmm. I, well, I knew I wanted to be a nutritionist and I hmm. always wanted to work for a woman's magazine. And again, that happened. It was hmm. partly love, partly I suppose I made it happen. Went to Australia. I started a health column in a newspaper, but I met an Indian entrepreneur who would have known that was going to happen. Yeah. And I think I've just always been open to opportunities. You know, yeah. the events company, it just did an event, thought this is cool. And yeah. so turned that into an events company. Yeah. Then left Hong Kong, came to Australia. Oh, I sold the events company, came to Australia to retire. Mm. Um, three months later, went to see my doctor she's still my doctor and said I think I'm depressed I've never been depressed but let me tell you what's happening and mm. she said I think you're bored go get a mm. job <laughs> so I trained as a coach and then yeah. um, with a partner set up the institute of executive coaching and leadership that I did for 16 years and then wow. sold that so I I didn't yeah. want to be a coach I wanted to build a coaching business so again it was did I see mm. that coming not really yeah but, I but do you listen to yourself and you adjust it accordingly, I guess? I listen to myself. I've mm. been told by colleagues that I, I'm, I'm very intuitive. Mm. Um, I, I sense opportunities and I tend to go for them. Mm. Was there any opportunities that come your way that you thought were great, but you realized later on that, oh, that was probably the wrong call? In that um, you probably didn't listen to yourself or you listened too much to yourself? I think I've worked with clients in the past who, I, when I first came here, we did um, train as a coach, the coaching company. We had one particular client, very high profile company, and they promised a lot of work 
Mm. which, you know, as a startup company, it's like, how fantastic is this? But I recognized at the time that the price I was going to pay was too high. Mm. Um, they were too demanding. They were not respectful of me and my team. And I, I fired them. I said, I don't want to work with you anymore. So mm. I've taken on things that were bigger than I could chew. I've mm. taken on relationships that probably weren't healthy. Mm. But then I try and learn from it and find a way out of it because the cost is too high. Yeah, interesting. How, um, how soon uh, into it did you find out that it was probably not the right fit? Three to four months. Three to four months. Three to four months. And I remember yeah. saying to the client, they were mean or I don't know what the right word is, but not, not respectful to one of my team. And I said to my team, I can get another client tomorrow. I can't replace you. You're oh. irreplaceable. So yeah. they go, you stay. Yeah, and I've, that's I've great. I would try to have that relationship with my colleagues because mm. we're a business. We're, we're, we're a team. We're a family. Yeah, and that's why you're able to, you know, keep it going for 16 years. No small feat. Mm. Now, what about being a mum? Did you always know that you were going to be a mum? No, never thought I was. Um, ah. my mom always said Julie will never have children she's too she likes her work too much you know she was a traditional Yorkshire mom um, and you know being a mother I, I always love children and you know one of my passions with the charities I've been working with is around children mm. but I, I got to the age of 36 mm. um, hadn't thought about having children and then one day said yeah maybe we'll give it a go Mm. Um, and I was very fortunate that I got pregnant quite quickly, which at that mm. age is not easy. Mm. I had Jake, my first son, when I was 37. Mm. And Paris said, that's enough. And I said, no, 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 no. Let's have another one. <laughs> so I yeah. had Joshua, Josh, when I was 39. So I had, you know, two, two babies. And yeah. I was running a very full-on events company at the time. Yeah. So that How was, was that? that was really tough. Well, you were in Hong Kong at the time, I right? Was in so Hong you had Kong, help. So I was fortunate. I had mm. we called it Auntie Emmy, who was yeah. with us for fourteen years, who was my absolute wow. rock. Yeah. So, so the kids, the kids saw her from infancy basically until teenage years. Yes, she was with That's, us when yeah. I got pregnant and stayed with us until we left for Hong mm. Kong. But sorry, for Australia when they were mm. seven and nine. So we oh wow. Yeah. You know. Um, so I knew that I think in the past we've, we all have mum guilt mm. and mine started probably when I was pregnant because I was doing my biggest event of the year. It was something called the CLSA Investors Forum. It was a five-day event. Mm. Um, we had a thousand institutional investors, 350 corporates together for five days and I was running that event and all of the things around it. Mm. And I was 34 weeks pregnant at the time. Wow. And yeah. at the end of that, I got these tummy pains and I thought it must be that apple juice I drank. It must have been bad. Yeah. And anyway, I went to the doctor and said, I think I've had a bad apple juice. And he said, you're in labor, premature labor, taken straight to hospital. Um, yeah. Jake, at that point, the baby was in distress. They had to do mm. an emergency C-section. So oh, already wow. I thought I've, you know, I've screwed yeah. this up. Yeah. Um, but... So I suppose that was recognizing then that I was just working way too hard and I wasn't setting appropriate yeah. physical boundaries for myself. Was that actually 
uh, caused by your overworking? I think it was. Think? I think it definitely okay. was. It was a, um, okay. I hadn't given my body time to rest. Um, yep. My blood pressure was high through probably right. overwork. Yeah. Um, So that must be a, a huge start to, to your motherhood journey. Did you go back to that moment time and again? Yes, definitely. And then yeah. I kept working because when, as you know, when you have your own business, you can't mm. just pull the plug and say, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. So I, I tried then to set boundaries and I tried to leave the office at four o'clock in the afternoons to be home um, to watch Postman Pat and be the major's bull and do yeah. all of the games with them. But there were two other incidents that they still remind me of, um, the mum guilt. One was they both had chicken pox, Jake and Josh. They were, mm. and they were both sitting in the bath covered in all the chicken pox, you know, with the calamine. Ointment, yeah. Ointment. And mm. I had a major event and I just mm. had to go. Mm. Um, it was, it was a, I think it was a Richard Branson event or, or a big, anyway, it was a big event. Yeah. And I left them sitting in the bath. Obviously, Auntie Emmy was with them and it, it broke my heart. Yeah, that you had to leave them when that they're I had uh, to leave them. yeah, so vulnerable. And, yeah, and then another time, Joshua was the youngest one. Said, "Can we play hide and seek?" I said, "Sure, you hide." He hid. I forgot. I went to work. He was in the wardrobe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and Auntie Emmy almost called the police. She thought he'd run away, and he was. And he, when I came home that night, he's like, "Why didn't you find me?" Like, oh, he still reminds me. He said, "I'm a very good hider." So you know, there were things like that, and it was, yeah. that was the time when I thought to myself, "Enough." Yeah, you've yeah. totally lost the plot. Yeah, um, and at that point, I found the buyer for the events company. Um, mm. It was Jack Morton, and it was a, an American company, mm. and they came over to do the Hong Kong handover, uh, mm. Hong Kong handover back to China. Yes. And I met the chairman of the company that day. Wow. The day after on July the 1st. Yeah. And agreed the sale of the company. So that was, you know, it was a combination of almost killing myself with overwork. Um, I, I never neglected my children, but not giving them what they needed. Um, yeah. Because I was so focused on work. It is always a push and pull, isn't it? Between wanting to live your best self, but also being mindfully available for your loved ones as well. But one thing that I, I mentioned first thing when I uh, met you and Barry was how great your, you know, Jake has turned out. I think Jake has this, this really wholesome quality of being a really nice and decent person, but also having the ability to carry his own weight, um, especially during um, group, um, assessments so you know despite all those traumatic experiences that you know we lived and relive I think you did a really good job raising your thank two you. kids thank you I think when we came to Australia Jake was nine Joshua was mm. seven mm. and we started the Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership IECL and Barry worked with me and we had an amazing partner, John Matthews and Chip McFarlane and Mandy. So we had other people, mm. but then every day we didn't have, Auntie Emmy wasn't, God bless yes. her, she, we, she didn't come with us. Um, mm. but, so after that, every day, one of us was at the school gates at 3.10 to pick up mm. the boys. Yeah. And so 
two days a week it was me or two or three days a week it was me two or three days a week it was Barry and yeah. so at that point we really had a great relationship with them we sat down every night for dinner at 6 30 mm. I've always had it was before the time when everybody had phones but it's like never phones on the dining room table even now mm. Mm. If any of my family bring a phone to the dining room table, they'll say, Mum, apologize, I've just got an urgent call that may be coming in. And it's mm. so mm. um, things like that. And I think Barry, my husband, you know, is an amazing man. And he always said, give them enough to do something, not enough to do nothing. Yeah. So when you're in a position where you've accumulated some wealth, you know, if you're mm. fortunate enough for that, it's very easy to throw money at your kids. Mm. Um, not the right thing to do yeah yeah that's great do you think that transition of having two days a week uh, spending some a little bit additional time with the kids do you think that was um, a monumental shift in your parental dynamics I think it was because our kids have always known there has never been a day when they haven't felt loved Mm. Um, there have been days when they have felt that we haven't had the time to mm. do. I remember Joshua at one point when he was little saying to me, I don't want more money, I want more mummy. Oh. I mean, How old was uh, he? He was probably six, five oh, or wow. six. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. He used to bring me at work and say, come home now, come home oh. now, you know, and so yeah. that yeah. breaks your heart. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm to me, I think I'm at a stage of my life now because, again, with the IECL, we sold that company three years ago. Mm. Um, and I am now doing work for some um, a, a charity that I've been involved with for 12 years. But I'm at a stage in my life when I have the gift of time. Yeah. It's the gift of time for my family, for my friends, for the causes that I believe in. Yeah. But more than anything, it's a gift of time for myself, which I've never really had. Mm. That's interesting. That's a great reflection too. And so had you had that time when you were a little bit younger, would you have um, gift yourself that time a little differently from how you would do it now? I would probably not have run as fast. Yeah. I would have taken time to celebrate. I never celebrated. I just moved on. Next, 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 you know, mm. done a massive event. Next. Mm. Mm. So I never really went out and celebrated. Why is that, Julie? Is that the Yorkshire spirit? I think it's just, to me, I judge success in achievement. Mm. Um, and so I was a doer rather than a beer. So I didn't take yeah. the time to be. I, did, I yeah. took the time to do. And yeah. I was highly competitive. Yeah. So I always wanted next. The next one. More. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, was Barry like that as well or not? No. No. Barry, okay. and thank God. And that's yeah. probably why I survived because I always said Barry was my, my anchor. Yeah. Um, Barry was a high achiever. You know, he ran a publicly yeah. listed company for Asia. He was very successful. But... Um, he didn't have the, the push that I had. And the yeah. push was sometimes too much. Yeah, yeah. And I paid a price for it physically. I, you know, at yeah. one point I 
almost destroyed my thyroid gland from overwork. I was down to under a hundred pounds. Um, wow. At some point, I, I never had an eating disorder, but I, I, I was just too frenetic. I think I burned yep. myself out. Yep. Yep. You focused on the work then. Yes. You just stop yes. looking after your, yourself. Yes. There must be a time when you and Barry uh, were juggling your two high-powered careers. How did you juggle both of that and your two boys? Um, probably having help made a difference. Mm. Um, we had quite an interesting, we had a good routine. So part of it's having a good routine. Uh, like every weekend, we knew that we'd spend Saturday and Sunday together as a family. So mm. at the time, you didn't have all of the mobile phones and all of the, you know, the 24 connection. So when yeah. we went on holiday, we were truly on holiday. Yeah, nice. So we, we appreciated those times. Mm. Um, I think early on, we decided, I think because we'd had the seven years as individuals before we married, we were kind to each other. The most important thing was kindness mm. um, because nobody wakes up and says, oh, today I'm really going to screw up. Everybody mm. wakes up thinking I'm going to try and do my best today. And you mm. make mistakes. So kindness and understanding to the mm. other person was always really important. You know, like mm. I've got your back. Mm. Um, and I think a friend of mine at the time gave me a book. It was by an author called... Gary Chapman, it's quite an old one now, and it was the love languages, the five languages five, yeah. of love. I don't know if you've mm. heard of that. Yes. Yeah. So it's understanding what your partner needs from you at any point in time, and that will change mm. over, you know, over the course of your life and over the course of your marriage. Mm. But for example, for me, um, acts of service, one of the love languages is acts of service. Mm. And Barry almost every day of our married life it brings me a cup of tea in bed every morning. Oh, that's an that's act nice. of service. Yep. You know, for some people, it's words of affirmation and encouragement. For others, mm. it's gifts. Mm. Um, for my kids, it's quality time. And mm. a lot of people need quality time. And as a young mom or, you know, in your marriage, quality time may be make sure you go to your yoga on a, your partner allow, you know, takes care of things while you go to your yoga on a Saturday morning or your, to your run or whatever it is. Mm. And, um, you know, often early stages of relationship and later on one of the love languages is physical touch and mm. that may change over time, but you know, um, mm. or what mm. that looks like, even just holding hands when you go for a walk. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's been tuned into each other and, and but the most important thing is being kind. Yeah. That's nice. So simple. Yeah, it's and yet important. we tend to think, yeah. we forget. Yeah. Yeah. It's more important to be kind than to be right. And Joshua, my, my youngest told me that mom one day, mom, it's more important to be kind than to be right. And it's like, <laughs> yes, sorry. I, maybe I was unkind then. You were right. Oh, yeah. He was a wise one then. Yeah. Very wise <laughs> one. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, now, if you could give your younger self one advice, um, Probably at a time when you just had Joshua, so you're juggling 
career and two kids under under two what advice would you give your your young self i would say it's okay to stop for a while you can have it all but not all at the same time just take a break you know smell the roses chill breathe yeah you're going too fast yeah that's lovely i would say that to myself and i would also say enjoy the journey because it's not about the destination we all are, and we all end up in the same place we mm. all end up dead <laughs> you know and yeah. what you, you don't want on your epitaph she worked really hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's not what yeah. you want <laughs> yeah <laughs> so enjoy the journey every yeah. moment of it yeah you know and that's also lovely. find a purpose because it's it's not just about the money mm. the money is important we, we all need it it's a way of keeping the score but it's not what you do it's what you're contributing to or, or your higher purpose i think that mm. at the end of your day you look back and that's the thing that's that's really important yeah how uh how long did it take for you to find your purpose I grew up in quite a religious family um, mm. and when I was 16 or 17, this sounds strange, but I wanted to be a missionary. Mm. I, I got over that, um, mm. but I always wanted to serve. And when I mm. went to Hong Kong and met Ranjan, uh, my business partner and his amazing wife, Phyllis, they are the godparents of Jake and Josh now, so we're oh, very close lovely. to yeah. um, them. There was an article in the South China Morning Post and it was about young women going across the border um, into China for third trimester abortions and all of the consequences that came with that. And Gary and Helen, the other couple who founded Mother's Choice, were missionaries. They'd come over with a mission to work with the Vietnamese refugees. Mm. And they were sitting in Ranjan's office and um, Gary, Ranjan said, what should we do about that? And mm. about the article, Gary said, I'll pray. And Ranjan mm. said, you pray, I'll go talk to the government and find us a building. So mm. he found a building and set up Mother's Choice, mm. which was a shelter and a refuge for young pregnant um, mm. women. Mm. And that's now 34, 35 years old. Mm. Um, and we set up Mother's Choice, um, started with pregnant girls, obviously babies, then special needs children, foster service, mm. adoption services, and now advocacy. Mm. the girls mm. and one of our social workers went into China um, her name was Kit Ying went into China in the early 90s and mm. I went with her and we saw the dying rooms the BBC did a documentary on the dying rooms which was where 90% of babies in state orphanages at that time um, died within a year it's mm. changed significantly since that and Kit Ying mm. said I'm not coming back so she mm. stayed and set up Mother's Love for 10 years, an amazing um, facility that mm. set up the standard for childcare in China. She was wow. such a pioneer. Yeah. Um, and then I remember going with her and World Vision. We followed the Vietnamese trucking route. Mm. And it was the early days of AIDS mm. um, and ghost villages. And they yeah. called it the sleeping disease. Yeah. And Kit Ying then set up small group homes for the mums and mm. the babies 
um, the mothers were generally HIV infected, the babies somewhere, somewhere. And when the mothers passed away, we could take care of the children. Mm. Um, and then I was involved in, um, from an early day with Mother's Heart Cambodia. I'm still on the board of that and was there in November. But sorry, a long answer to your question. I've always had a passion for the lives of children and for young, yeah. vulnerable women. Yeah. And rather than being a missionary, which I'm not cut out for, I try and use my skills and my talents to raise funds for these, donate funds for these and make a difference mm. in the mm. way that I can see best. So that's my purpose. Yeah, and that's beautiful. And now at my stage in life where I'm not working full time anymore, I can, I can give my mm. time and my service mm. to Mother's Heart Cambodia. Yep, that's beautiful. I was speaking to another breadwinning mum as well, Wendy Zveglik, about how um, being a person of faith can really help you go through difficult phases in life. Um, have you and Barry ever reached a, a point where you were both really tried? And how did your faith help you through that, that phase? You don't have to share the specifics, but maybe no. just the transition itself. Um, Barry has, is not really, he didn't grow up in a religious family. I think he went to church as a little boy, but he, um, he doesn't have probably the same faith. He has a different faith. Mm. Um, I suppose when I was pregnant with Joshua, my dad died. Um, mm. and that was a really difficult time. I couldn't go over to see him. I couldn't go to the funeral because I was 35 weeks pregnant and I mm. made that mistake with baby number one. Mm. So I wasn't going to, you know, yeah. this baby number two. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think my faith and my beliefs have given me an understanding that this too shall pass. You know, when you're exhausted, when you're up for six times in the night and you know you have a major meeting tomorrow, it's yeah. like it won't always be this way. Yeah. This too shall pass. And it, it always gave me a faith that things were actually going to be all right. And one of my favorite sayings, it's from the, um, the Marigold Hotel yeah. a movie. And it's like when yeah. the manager, this beautiful Indian um, yeah. gentleman manager, yeah. says if it didn't end well it's not yet the end yeah and that's yeah. become one of our family sayings it's like oh you know I didn't get the job or the apartment fell through or something went wrong it's like we all said yeah not yet the end yeah keep going that's <laughs> keep nice going. Um, yeah so I, I think my faith just helps me to keep going yeah my belief in my belief in the goodness of people mm and my belief in, you know, an abundant mentality. Mm. That's beautiful. All right. Um, so one question that I usually ask all moms is, what's your alpha mom song? Um, it's not really an alpha mom, but it's something that touched me a few while, a while ago, and you can tell my generation with this. It's, it's almost the Joe Copper, Pass It On pay it forward yeah 
it's that's not the kind of thing you know I mean there's I am woman hear me roar and this, yeah. that's, that's not really me I, I don't need a yeah. song to help me roar um it's <laughs> you're already it, roaring I'm, they roaring, get I'm, roaring. <laughs> I'm trying to roar less um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's now when my nieces say auntie you know what can we do for you it's like pay it forward i have mm. everything in the world and more than i will ever need give mm. it to somebody who needs it pay it forward pass it on yeah that's because beautiful. that's that's the most amazing thing that your generation and, and everybody can do you know yes. just and i think i what i love about my stage of life now is i have time for those loose connections i was reading a harvard review or something a, a while ago and it's um, one of the predictors of longevity is mm. the number of loose social connections. When yes. you go for your coffee in the morning, do you speak yep. to the barista who makes you coffee? When you get on the bus, do you, you, know, do you talk to the person next to you? Mm. And mm. those loose social connections are the signs of predictors of longevity because it's mm. one of the challenges I see today is the isolation and the loneliness. Yeah. So finding, and I coach quite a few young people at the moment, and I'm like, tell me your day. When mm. did you go out? Who did you speak to? Keep a diary of that because you, you cannot sit in isolation in front of a computer screen and expect yeah. to have wellness. Yeah, yeah. That's great. All right. Well, Julie, thank you so much for making the time to, um, to chat today. If there is one thing that you can share with all breadwinning moms of all ages, you know, the 20 year old that are still trying to make it through her career and 30, 40s that are trying to transition into a, a little bit more um, established career and even 50s and 60s, what would that be? I think, and it's not one simple thing, you need your different buckets. I don't know if I've talked to you about the buckets. Imagine you're full of water. Mm. What are the buckets that you need to make you feel balanced? For me, at my stage in life, it's my family and friends, my mm. relationships. It's mm. my community, my, my work. I'm still coaching, working with a few companies. So work, mm. your relationships, family and friends, your health and well-being, mm. and possibly your the way you give forward or contribute to the community mm. now there has to be enough water in you to fill each of those buckets up to the level where you feel balanced if you mm. focus just on work the other buckets will be empty and mm. your life will be out of balance mm. and at different stages in your life you may only have two you need three buckets you need your work you need your family friends relationships and you need your wellness make mm. sure you have enough energy enough water inside you to fill those buckets to a level where they're balanced. Because if not, you will get sick, you will get depressed, and it will not work out. Yep, so true. That's so wise. So be mindful of your, uh, your buckets and make sure that it's all filled. Or they're filled to the level where you feel balanced. Yep. You know, I would think in many, you know, in Jake's age, you're... you're generation is probably work relationships and wellness mm. wellness is often the one that goes by and by first yeah. yeah you know the Dalai Lama says we spend all of our time making money and spend of our oh, we sacrifice our health to make money and we sacrifice then our money to, 
buy back our health. Regain, yeah. Regain our health. So mm. try not to do that. Mm. That's perfect. All right. Well, Julie, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely chatting with you. And thank you for, you know, being interested in my story. Of course. There's a lot of wisdom in there. So and hopefully good luck um, with other your, people. Good luck with your trip to the US. Thank you. Thank you, All Jane. Right. Take See care. See you, Julie. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow breadwinning mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time.